0: It's Rick and Bubba, and we welcome you to another edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Professor Burgess here, and welcome back. There is Professor Bussin. Rick, glad to be here. Uh, Very excited about our guest
1: today. Uh, Jim Hawkins, Colonel, U.S. Army, retired. Thank you for your service, sir. And for three months at the beginning of the pandemic, he helped lead Alabama's Unified Command for the COVID response. As an interagency coordinator at the request of the governor. Now, that's a mouthful. Wow, Rick. Bubba, thank you huh? for taking
0: that off me, too, because <laughs> I, I don't know where we would be now.
1: Uh, but uh, Well, I stumbled through it, but I got through it.
0: Colonel, welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.
2: Well, thank you, Rick. Thanks, Bubba. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning.
1: Well, first off, as I said, thank you for yes. your service and uh, we certainly appreciate that. We, we love our military. Uh, my father was in World War II, so we, we certainly have an appreciation for all the military has done for us, and you know, we love the Constitution, Colonel, but without guns to back it up, it really doesn't mean anything.
2: Well, I'm with you. I'm with you. I did uh, 34 years total, uh, loved every minute of it, and, uh, and, and proud of my time, and it was really an honor to, to serve our country and to wear its uniform.
0: So when you, when you got this call, to take us down that road. I mean, here we are, this, this pandemic. Uh, you, I, I can still remember just hearing people talk about it. I remember, Bubba, you and I watched some doctor out of Canada trying to tell and he terrified us. He, it, yeah. was, it was coming after our lungs, which that did turn out, sadly, to, to be the case. We didn't know what we were up against. Yeah, and, and there's a, there, th- we, this, we had never faced this in our lifetime. So tell us the process of how you ended up with this job.
2: Sure so I retired from the the guard in uh, in May of 2019 uh, and, and for the last third of, of that 34-year career, my primary responsibility was managing uh, the guards' participation in disaster responses in Alabama. And uh, did about 40 either state or federally declared disasters uh, t- during my career, uh, and I taught the, uh, the doctrine for that out at Northcom and at Air University of Maxwell. So that was sort of my bread and butter. And when I retired, I went to work for a, uh, a company called Dynamis uh, out of Fairfax, and the owner and I went to University of Alabama in Huntsville together and uh, had remained friends. I went to work for that company, and uh, the owner, John Braun, um, was monitoring COVID really much earlier than, than I was paying attention to it. Uh, really uh, as it began to hit the news in December and January, he would call me about it and talk about it. And by March, um, obviously, it was, it was starting to heat up. And an article came out that uh, alabama.com that said that there would be the highest death rate per capita in the country in Alabama. And uh, John said, that that can't happen here. We can't let that happen. I bet the, the governor's office wishes you were still in your old role. I said, I don't know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. <laughs> Long story short, some calls were made and he essentially offered to to uh, loan me back to the state for free. And I, he said, are you willing to go back down there? And I said, you mean pay my pay my salary to work for you, but go work for the governor? And he said, absolutely. That's how important I think this is. And uh, so I asked, asked my wife if she was one to, uh, we'd since relocated to Huntsville. And I said, look, uh, uh, they, John wants me to go back to Montgomery and, and help work on this uh, pending disaster. And uh, she said, where else would you be? That's what you do. And uh, by now the kids were home uh, home from school. They, they, they canceled school. And I said, what about you guys? And she said, we're an Army family. Go do your job. We'll be all right. And uh, so the governor's office uh, asked me to go consult at the Department of Public Health um, I spent about a week in that role, consulting uh, with them. Uh, around that same time, they formed a unified command, which is an incident command structure where you have agencies with uh, more than one agency with uh, with overlapping jurisdiction. So they formed a command that that combined the resources of public health and the state emergency management agency uh, into into a unified command, and uh, and things things were. Not going particularly well, and uh, and we told the, the governor's office that uh, we didn't think we were being helpful. Uh, I ended up on the phone with her um, and uh, and her staff, and she asked me to instead of consult, change my role and take over as an interagency coordinator on her behalf and synchronize activities of those agencies, which I agreed to do. And that uh, thirty month or thirty day consulting gig turned into ninety days uh, of uh, of working and leading that unified command.
0: When you think about I just heard you say trying to get all the agencies oh boy. to work together. Um, government and, agencies. And, right. and, and this, <laughs> this has been a problem across our country when you start dealing with the government. It just seems that the private sector, and we've already seen this, does a better job at these things. So tell me some of the challenges you faced when you started trying to uh, saying, hey, we got to all get synergy here. We got to get on the same page. Was that the problem? They didn't communicate real well together. Uh, they didn't have a clear, uh, you know, here is our game plan. Uh, it, did it just kind of seem like, uh, I mean, I hate to use this term that, that my grandfather used harem scarum. I mean, it was just a little bit frantic and not well organized.
2: Well, there, there certainly were a lot, of, a lot of challenges, um, one, you had very different agencies with different core competencies, um, you know, public health um, does a good job uh, at, at many of the things that they do managing the you know the public health for Alabama. They're not a crisis management organization. They're yeah. not used to managing large scale operations and they're not used to tasking other agencies uh, uh, to do things during disasters. Um, Alabama EMA, on the other hand, is uh, organized to do those kind of things manage crises, crises, and uh and task other agencies Uh, but they they're not a public health agency so you had different core competencies uh they had their own their own structures their own their own leadership their own interests and now they were kind of in this shotgun wedding together and you know, uh, just like uh, the jokes about, you know, things designed by committees, you know, leading by committees also difficult. So Mm -hmm. you have you have multiple chiefs involved now. And uh, because the the scope of the problem was so big, we also pulled in the National Guard, uh, because they have a lot of of trained planners, and we needed a lot more planners. So we pulled them in. And interestingly, the Alabama Forestry Commission also provided uh, assistance. So we ended up with with four agencies, um, all with their own bureaucracies, all with their own leadership, all with their own structures, and we're all Sort of uh, uh, together now inside the uh, the 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 public health headquarters, trying to operate together, um, and and those agencies all had uh, pandemic plans, pandemic influenza plans, which essentially what what this was. But one of the challenges, and we saw this across the country as well, the novelty of this virus, um, the fact that it was a new virus, um, and the fact that it had been 100 years since we had a, a significant global mm-hmm. pandemic, created sort of this uh, an paralysis by analysis, where everybody got so caught up in the new um, that they they didn't focus on on what they did know. And sticking to your core competencies, sticking to what you do know how to do well and executing those functions is, is the key to success in crisis management. Um, and, and we weren't doing a great job at that. We were kind of caught up in the, as a country, I mean, caught up in the novelty of it all. Oh my gosh, this has never happened before. Well, that doesn't matter. It's just a disaster. It's an unusual disaster. It's slow moving, but it's still just a disaster. Those principles still apply. Colonel
1: Hawkins, uh, it it was unique, though. I mean, we're used to dealing with tornadoes and hurricanes and even some issues dealing with flu. But when you put all this together, we didn't know what we were dealing with. And you had the media that seemed to be throwing fire on it. I mean, gas on the fire every day. Plus, uh, you have the public that our elected officials answer to, and they're screaming, do something do something, do something. But really back to what you were saying to do what we know we need to do, we have to implement it and ride it out. And that's not really what our microwave culture wants to hear.
2: No, that that's true. Um, it was a little unnerving uh, to to be in so many discussions where you're asking questions uh, from medical professionals about this virus, and and to hear I don't know, uh, because in, in tornadoes and hurricanes, and, and I've worked a lot of those. You know, you know uh, what your end state is. You know, getting things back to normal, or the new normal. You can assess the damage and see approximately how long that'll take and what resources are going to be required. Here we didn't know. Um, and another challenge we had is is the models that we were using, and in uh, Alabama and most states, in fact, used uh, the IHA me model out of out of washington uh which turned out to be pretty inaccurate um right. but it was giving us really frightening numbers um you know uh it, at one point it predicted we would be thirty thousand beds short mm. of the beds we needed for COVID in alabama um that's that's an that's an impossible number frankly so that, that was a dark time um and and really before we could get into dealing with the specifics of how to respond to the the, the virus, we had to we had to get organized because we had this this unified command that wasn't really unified. Um, you know there there was there was uh, a lack of communication. There was contention going on. At one point. Uh, um, Two different people for two different ages you actually got into an argument, and and one of them called the police and had the other person escort out of the building. You know, that's not teamwork. <laughs> um, you know, we had to get on the same page. So, so well, I established um, once I became uh, uh, appointed that job by the governor, some senior lieutenants, and that way we would learn together and decide together instead of each, each of these agencies learning things on their own through their own structures. Mm-hmm. We would stay together and we would learn things together and make decisions together and not not make decisions in a vacuum and stovepipe those things. And then once we decided, we decided to move on. Um, there was a, a real tendency because of the novelty of it to say, well, we could do this. We could also do this. Hey, let me throw this wrinkle at you. At some point in a crisis, you've got to make a decision and move out and That's stick right. to that course unless you've decided that it's become needlessly perilous. So we had to decide to move on. We had to get it right the first time with our third tenant. Fourth was have single messaging, uh, unified answers with single messaging. Uh, we, we were we were not on the same page. The governor's office uh, was like, "Hey, we're getting different answers." I'm like, "Well, it's because you're asking different people. We got to have a central focus mm-hmm. uh, and get on the same page." And lastly, we had to keep the whole command informed. Um, to do those things. Um, I instituted a twice-a-day meeting. So twice a day, we got all these leaders together, and they had to sit in the room together and learn together, decide together, get it right, and move out. And once we started doing that, it, it did enable us to take some, some, some positive actions that you're talking about.
0: Jim Hawkins is our guest. Uh, he was there on the front lines when uh, uh, the, the first pandemic in 100 years with a novel virus uh, hit our state where Bubba and I were, were, were living, but also – was part of those that were doing it across the country. We'll come back and continue our conversation when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. Well, we're here, uh, Colonel uh, Jim Hawkins. Uh, he uh, is retired uh, from serving our country in the U.S. Army. And Bubba, boy, he took on a tough job uh, in, in our home state, but also <laughs> was part of a lot who were trying to find ways to combat this 100-year pandemic with a novel virus. And he's been talking to us about what it took to try to, uh, to, try to take this on. Colonel Hawkins, we can imagine the
1: difficulty in that. But tell us a little bit about when you were given command of the Unified Command, how did that sit with some of these people who were head of agencies when, you know, they're very proud of their job and what they do. And and we know in politics, part of the game is to cover your turf or somebody else will take it away from you. How did that sit when uh, you come in there and, hey, I'm in charge now?
2: That's a great question, Bubba. And I was actually very concerned about that um, because I certainly didn't go down there to, to be in charge of anything. I really just wanted to, to consult. Um, and so I was concerned about that, but actually they were all very accepting uh, of it. You know, the the novelty of this, um, the, the fact that you had multiple agencies cooperating all added to sort of the stress of it. And as an outsider, um, that was kind of my superpower that, that I wasn't a state guy. You know, I wasn't wearing a state agency logo. Um, I have no designs so on becoming an appointee of the state. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy in my second career and, and happy where I live now, which is not in the Capitol. And, um, and so I had no long-term goals. I was literally just there to help. Um, and I think that eased a lot of people's minds. I wasn't after anyone's job and, uh, and, and, in a lot of ways too, I became expendable, right? Because if this didn't go well, um, all you had to do is tell me to go home. So yeah. they lay it at um, your
1: feet because you're in charge. Well, now. and
2: that exactly. was,
0: that was going to be my follow-up <laughs> question. Y'all are already there. Did you find, and it looks like the answer is yes. Uh, one of the things that we always talk about, we talk about it on, on the big show is sometimes you, you have people that are trying to be career politicians. Uh, they, they worry as much about doing the right thing as being blamed. If it turns out to be the wrong thing, uh, they, they sometimes Absolutely. they won't make decisions because if it doesn't go well, they're almost trying to find a way not to make a decision but not be told they're not making a decision but really not making one because if it's the wrong decision, they get blamed for it. So I would think that what you just said, you actually became – when they, did they begin to realize, hey, wait a minute, here's somebody we can blame.
2: And that may have gotten you a little more freedom, right? It might have. No one ever came out and said that to me. (laughs) uh, But I I think that that could well have been in there. And we did experience that, you know, where, you know, municipalities wanted to do a mask ordinance, for instance, uh, but they knew that'd be unpopular. They didn't want to be the ones that said it. So uh, they wanted the health department to say it. Um, And, you know, one of the challenges that we had is, uh, and I was not aware of this until I got down there, despite you know, years of working with state government is that the, the um, Alabama Public Health doesn't work for the governor. Uh, the state health officer doesn't answer to the governor. He's not a captain officer. He answers to the state medical board. So you've got a, an executive of the state and the governor's office, and you have the head of, for instance, the Emergency Management Agency or the National Guard that that do answer to the governor, but the state health officer doesn't. So really, you had a partnership of very different agencies that also answered to different uh, authorities.
1: When you were talking about getting the messaging the same, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes any group makes. But it takes time to sit down and say, guys, here's the question, here is the answer, and this is how we're going to say it. And people, I think, sometimes don't appreciate that process, but how difficult was that to get an answer that you were going to put out to the public that was, one, true, and two, everybody would agree that that's the way we should say it? Was that difficult?
2: Well... I didn't work directly on that much so our messaging was typically to the governor's office the governor's office was the lead on messaging in in the state um and the public affairs apparatus of the agencies involved all took uh their their messaging cues from the governor's office so uh, our role was to give the governor the best possible answer that we could the most accurate answer we could and let them determine the messaging uh but the, the ball didn't move a lot uh during this time you know as as um the 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 disaster unfolded essentially, and we realized the models we were using weren't very accurate. We were we were changing the predictions we would give the governor's office. So at one point we we needed thirty thousand beds. Well, we never got anywhere close to that. In fact, we we never became uh, overwhelmed entirely, which was not not what we expected at all. So that was that was a, a difficult thing to do. Um, also, the systems that that the state uses, for instance, the system the hospital so the health department uses is pretty antiquated and it it doesn't have a lot of fidelity in the data. So the governor's office would ask us very specific questions like how many beds are there in Alabama? Well, I don't know. Um, I had a whole team of, of, of staff officers, <laughs> military staff officers, working that issue for me. Uh, and the very best we could come up with is it's somewhere between 13,500 and 15,500. And I had to tell the governor's office, short of sending a state trooper to every hospital and count, you're never going to know. It's somewhere in that spread. And As a military guy, that drove me crazy. I bet oh, it I bet. did. I bet. Oh, but that's that a, unacceptable. End- <laughs> it, 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 so, so we spent a lot of time when the governor's office would say, "What's the number?" I, you know, it was very rarely eleven. It was usually an answer like, "Well, it's between seven and fifteen, and here's the variables." And it's very difficult to to manage things uh, with that that kind of. Um, Uh, flexibility built in your numbers Uh, but that's what crisis management is all about you can't wait to have perfect information you've got to be decisive pick a course of action and move out and and that's what we did during the unified command phase
1: so you tell us one of the things you did that you think you did right and tell us something that you go well probably could have done that a little better hindsight being 2020
2: uh that's good so uh you know one of the things that i think we did right is uh is is getting uh, the additional PPE, the personal protective equipment ordered and, and distributed. So the state has a stockpile, the national stockpile, every state has it, um, you know, extra gowns, gloves and all that kind of thing. Um, hospitals normally purchase those things on their own. But in the event of a crisis, there's a, a fairly funded strategic stockpile. We launched that into the field early in the disaster. Um, there, there began a, a large debate before I changed from consultant to uh, to coordinator about how much we needed to order to replace it. Um, and and the day that I, I got in charge, I said, we don't need to know exactly how much. It's a lot. Order a bunch. <laughs> and I, I took several medical planners and I said, give me a defendable number. And they they spent about a day, came up with a defensible number. We, we bought that amount. The state approved it. Um, and and because the health department does it public health doesn't normally distribute supplies we essentially had to build a district a warehouse and distribution network to deliver those things statewide so we did that we created uh, essentially built an airplane in the air and distributed those supplies successfully across the state. Uh, I think that was that was significant. Um, you know, we had had several principles that we operated under unified command principles. We were going to develop inter connections in every section. So no section was all one agency. There was partnership in every one. Um, but we said, look, if there's a current process and it works, don't mess with it. Don't no. break something that's working. But if we have a process that lacks sufficient capacity, let's augment it. And that's what we did in logistics, Um, and partially in what we did in logistics. And then if no process exists and we need to create it, create it. And and ultimately the distribution network was created. Uh, But then if we were augmenting or creating anything to make it look familiar to the hospitals and the healthcare providers, which is, you know, because when this, this is over and those distributions stop, you know, those relationships will have to be there. Those processes will be there. And that's why you never saw army trucks racing up down the road or helicopters medically dropping supplies. We want it to look like it should look. What do I wish we did better? Um, well, a couple of things. One, I, I wish that the Unified Command had stayed in operation longer, even though um, my company couldn't leave me there forever for free. They could have picked another person. There's lots of people that have the the They could have brought what I brought probably better. Uh, I think they should have kept the unified command together longer and kept more focused on the response. Uh, I also think we should have, could have done better statewide on messaging. Messaging about the uh, the reasons for things like the state of home order, the reasons for the mass. You know this this disaster, unlike any that I've ever worked, became incredibly political. They're all right. they all have a political element, but this right. one became a partisan issue, um, and I think a lot of that had to do with um, the the different messages that came out uh, from from political entities, from the media, um, and what really could have been. Um, you know, uh, uh, a post Pearl Harbor, post 9-11 come together moment for America became a deci- divisive moment. And, and I, I'm afraid that costs lives.
0: No doubt. We'll come back. We'll continue to talk with uh, a retired Colonel Jim Hawkins. He was called in to try to get all these government agencies to work in unison to fight a pandemic with a virus that was novel. We'll find out more about uh, the current state of things and maybe what we can expect going forward when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. All right, let's talk life insurance, Bubba. Got to have it. Gotta have got it. to have it. Got uh, to have it. Because, Rick,
1: I, I'm going to tell you something. We're all going to need it at some point.
0: It is. It's one of those things that we don't like to talk about. but uh, Unless you, your
1: name's Enoch and you think you're going to walk right in. But well, then
0: still they miss you. But still you you got folks that, that, <laughs> that you've left behind. behind. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, this is why people get life insurance, especially the term coverage. And you and I have always been big proponents of term coverage. Just simplify it. When I'm gone, here's what my family receives. Um, And you know what? It's usually surprisingly affordable. Uh, So why not uh, pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? If you're asking yourself the question about, well, what do I need to do next, I'm going to tell you to choose Ladder, L-A-D-D-E-R. They make it impressively fast and easy to get covered. You just need a few minutes on a phone or a laptop to apply. Uh, Ladder's uh, smart algorithms work in real time. So you find out instantly if you're approved, you know, because that's always the the hassle, you know, trying to get approved and when when do I know when I'm approved? Well, if, if Ladder's helping you, it won't be long. There'll be no hidden fees, so don't worry about that, and you can cancel at any time. And since life insurance costs you more as you age, now's the day. This is the time to go ahead and cross that off the list. So here's what you need to do: check out Ladder today to see if you're instantly approved. Go to ladderlife.com/slash Rick Bubba. That's L-A-D-D-E-R-Life, L-I-F-E, dot com, slash Rick Bubba. Ladderlife.com, slash Rick Bubba. Get this done today. All right, so we're back. We are talking on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, with retired Colonel Jim Hawkins. Uh, the state of Alabama, and this was happening all over our country, uh, called him in to try to get all these government agencies to try to work together to formulate a plan on taking on the the, the pandemic with a novel virus. We've talked about some of the things that that he was called to do, some of the things that seemed to work pretty good, uh, things that he said, I, I wish we could have done better, which kind of gets us um, to where we are today. Uh, so we, we got a call on the show today, uh, and I know some of this you may know, some of it you, you may not. Uh, when, when do we think this is going to be over? What, what are the markers we're looking for? How much longer will we have to wear these masks? Uh, so where,
2: where do you think we are as, as a state and as a country as of today? So that's that's a good question um and and my kids ask me that all the time as well and and i don't know um you know the scientific answer uh, i'm a retired soldier not a medical professional understood um and and there's so much out there you know people throw out numbers i think dr fauci's current number is 70 percent when 70 of the people have either had it or inoculated will have herd immunity um we've already seen um you know reduction in cases um, you know significant number of Americans have had it and survived thank goodness uh, the the vaccinations are becoming you know increasingly available. Uh, and once we reach that number where um, we have herd immunity then we really shouldn't need any restrictions anymore you know the, the whole the, the thing about this virus it's not Ebola right it, it was never going to kill the bulk of the people that got it right. um like 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 the Ebola virus does for and example. black plague you know the black plague. Or, yeah the plague <laughs> if, yeah. if it showed up it was over. Yeah, so this this is a is a dangerous virus, but there's lots of dangerous viruses. You know, measles. You know, the normal influenza is, is mm-hmm. potentially dangerous. The issue with this was because it was novel, the, the 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 chances of so many people getting it that it overwhelmed the healthcare system. That was really the risk. It wasn't that the the virus was going to 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 decimate the population. Um, you know, if you had significant comorbidities, um, you know, the older you were, the the harder it was on you. But for the bulk of people, it wasn't going to be. Um, Uh, fatal or or incredibly severe, Uh, but because no one had ever had it before, the risk was that the hospitals become overwhelmed, like what we saw in Italy. Uh, And we really peaked with that around uh, the the mid and late summer in most parts of, of the southeast anyway uh, and the hospitals never became overwhelmed um, the hospitals are actually quite resilient um, they're able to to, uh, to continue to operate um, even under heavy patient loads i remember the day that we had 100 percent occupancy in uh, in icu beds in, in a major city in alabama and uh, i called the governor's office that we've been 100 um, percent and I thought that was significant, but for weeks they operated at hundred percent because as they rotated people out, they rotated new people in. Now we were tracking statewide and most states were doing this, uh, um, beds, hospital beds, ICU beds, intensive care unit beds and ventilators. Uh, in Alabama, we always had plenty of ventilators. Um, we never maxed out on beds. We maxed out a couple of times on ICU beds, but the, op- the, the hospitals continue to operate. So um, significant numbers of people have had it now, they've had the shot now. Personally, I think um, you know we should start to see the end of these restrictions. It should become like a normal um, disease that everyone's careful of and, and tries to avoid. Um, but it's not going to be incredibly serious for most people. My my own daughter had it. I had a minor cold-like symptoms for about three days, bounced right back, and uh, you know hit it in stride. And, and as enough people get it and recover or get the vaccine, it should get treated like any other disease in America. We shouldn't make it uh, something that uh, that changes the, the way America lives forever. You know, like having to have a shot to fly for instance. You don't have to prove that you've had your measles shot to get an airplane.
1: Right. Colonel Hawkins, let me ask you this. As you were working this problem vertically, uh, trying to gather information, react to it, I know part of that is looking horizontally to what other states are doing to see what Mississippi, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, and I know you consulted and stayed in touch with those guys too. Was there ever a point where you guys had looked at the facts on some part of this puzzle and decided a way to go, and then you look to one of the other states, and they have found something 180 degrees different, or they're addressing the problem different. And you go, oh no, wait a minute, let's let's look at this again.
2: Well, you know, the states do a terrific job of working together new disasters. There's things like the Emergency Management Assistance Compact, which is a, a federal law and a law in every state where we can share resources. There wasn't a lot of resources being shared because there there was such a scarcity of supplies, but information was still being shared. And we had federal partners that facilitated that. For example, you know, as we were talking about setting up alternate care sites, you know, think those big temporary hospitals in a, in a gymnasium. Um, you know, I very much would like to talk to New York about their experience doing it, but they were pretty busy, but you had federal agencies like the US Army Corps of Engineers that was working in both states. So we could go to our federal partners like the Corps and say, tell, tell me what they're learning in New York. And they could relay that from their context in New York. Um, so we never changed direction based on what another state was doing. But, but we talked regularly to a significant number of other states we talked a lot to Georgia a lot to Mississippi a lot to Tennessee a lot to Florida and we we would copy things from each other for example Georgia began to uh, as it became obvious that nursing homes were going to be critical in this fight because you've got this captive um you know resident uh group of people right. that are especially vulnerable um they began to decontaminate their uh, their nursing homes using their national guard so we we borrowed exactly their plan they even came over and walked us through it told us what equipment to buy uh, and we essentially copied Georgia's plan to the letter um, and so there was a lot of that kind of thing going on where we we helped each other by by sharing the, the things that were working for us so when when you when you talk about some of the
0: things that we that we went through and i know in in our state because we're, we're rolling out the vaccine now and i know that you're not doing this anymore but I'm I'm assuming this process was you're still in tune with what's going on, Certainly. so some states have done better than others. Uh, the private sector seems to do better than the government. There's a shocker, uh, but our state where we are in Alabama was has it improved? Because I know at one time it was not very good at all. And and can you update on why that
2: is? And is it has it gotten any better? Well. Um- we have and i check the numbers um pretty regularly i haven't checked in the last day or so we've we've hovered between 50th in the country and 45th in the country uh, on vaccine distribution um when you look at the states that are being very successful um they're 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 doing the same kinds of things west virginia is doing an exceptional job you know at one point if west virginia was a country they'd be the third most vaccinated in the country uh, colorado's done a good job um, number one they all started planning early for vaccine distribution the ones that are being successful successful. Um, they, they began planning really back a year ago in March, because we knew there would be a vaccine at some point. So the folks that started planning early have been more successful. Um, sticking with what you know, uh, West Virginia, for example, um, you know, hired uh, a, a basically an outsider, a a retired, in fact, they hired a retired guard general to run their operations. Somebody that understands large scale, complex operations and uncertain environment. Um, The states have done well, have used their national guard. Uh, every state's got a National Guard. Um, the National Guard brings a lot of experience in large scale logistics. Uh, most states have medical professionals in their National Guard. Alabama, for example, has the fifth largest National Guard in the country. Um, West Virginia, Colorado, they've got mobile teams comprised of guardsmen. Uh, they've been very proactive and they've got a large guard influence. Another thing that's been successful in other states is instead of focusing on on the large box stores or large chain um pharmacies, they focused on local pharmacies. Mm. In a lot of states, especially the poorer states uh, like Alabama and West Virginia, you've got counties with no hospital. There's many hospital counties in Alabama that have a single hospital. Those people rely on their local pharmacist at, at the local pharmacy for a lot of medical advice and obviously for their medications, uh, they trust that person, they 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 get that's where they get their blood pressure medicine. So these states have partnered with those pharmacies to fill in those gaps in rural healthcare care provision, uh, and that's been very, very successful. So um, those things are happening in successful states. Um, I think some of those things are starting to happen here, um, but uh, but there's there there uh, there's a lot more things to be done. We've also got a challenge in uh, uh, with with uh, some with the trust factor. You know, in in uh, in Alabama, for example, um, in the African American community, uh, when we were trying to get our testing numbers up, when I was down there. Um, we had a hard time getting our numbers up in that community and and uh the feedback we got was there was there was mistrust of the test like you could get COVID from the test mm. and someone said well that's just crazy and uh i said that's not crazy have you ever heard of the tuskegee experiments i mean mm-hmm. you know this is a state where the federal government gave um our citizens syphilis on purpose and didn't treat right. them so right. and, and the, the the children and grandchildren of those people are in alabama today so so it's on the government to to build that trust back and fix that trust deficit. Um, and that's about messaging. And, and we're seeing the same issue there in uh, in vaccinations uh, and getting the vaccine. So that's something that we've got to focus on as a state. And it takes uh, takes takes the right people getting involved to message it. Well, we come back, we're
0: going to spend the last part of the podcast. Are we ready for, for, for another pan- What What's ahead? I mean, what have we learned And are we ready, if we were, God forbid, to to face another one? We'll come back with the retired U.S. Army Colonel Jim Hawkins when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. So, Bubba, HR, HR, I've got a business, i got HR, and and you got to deal with wrongful termination suits. Uh, uh, What's going to happen with this minimum wage? What's the federal government going to drop on you? Uh, labor regulations. It, it ain't like the old days where you hired somebody with a handshake, Rick. No, it's not. So the HR manager is a big deal, but here's the deal. Here's what you got to know. They know they're a big deal, so guess what? <laughs> they're you, in demand. Yeah, you better get your <laughs> checkbook out. Uh, HR manager's salaries are not cheap, uh, an average of $70,000 a year. That's the reason why you need to know about Bambi. B-A-M-B-E-E, uh, because uh, this was created for small businesses, and specifically for this problem. So uh, you you can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, maintain your compliance, all for just $99 a month. This is handled for $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability, and now it becomes your biggest strength. Uh, Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or a real-time chat. Now this is from onboarding to terminations. They they customize your policies to fit your business the way it actually operates. It's not it's not one of these uh, boilerplate deals. They help you manage your employees day to day, all for just ninety nine dollars a month. Now this is month to month. I mean you're not in a long term contract. There's no hidden fee. You can cancel anytime. Let Bambi B A M B E E help get your free HR audit today. Here's what you got to do. Go to Bambi.com slash Rick Bubba right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Rick Bubba. Bambi.com slash Rick Bubba. Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continuing. Uh, this is our final segment of uh, this week's podcast, talking with retired Colonel Jim Hawkins, who was called in uh, saying, hey, we need your help down here. We got a pandemic. He was called to uh, the state of Alabama to try to help. We talked with him quite a bit about what was done, what, would that, what, what that was like. We've even talked about things that worked, things that didn't work. The state's all trying to work together. And I guess we need to spend the, the last few minutes together talking about what's ahead. Uh, are, are we ready? Uh, what did we learn? Do we know the things that we need to do if, God forbid, we end up with the next novel virus and here we go? And, and uh, so, so talk to us about our state of readiness.
2: Well, I, I think um, it's clear that this will happen again. You know, globalization, the the advent of, of uh, you know, the ease of travel around the world. Um, you know, there are going to be more viruses. You will see uh, something something novel again. Um, I do think we'll be better prepared as a country. Um, you know, because we've been through through this experience. You know, and different states will 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 do better than others. You know, planning and training is the difference in a disaster between uh an organized event response and a do your best reaction so the the states and 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 agencies that that develop a plan to deal with the next pandemic and then train against that plan are going to do better um, and I think you'll see a number of, of organizations do that. Um, another thing, a, a saying of disaster management is, "Don't meet at the smoking crater." You know, on the bad day, don't the bad day be the first time you meet each other. Right. Um, and and essentially, in a lot of places, certainly here, um, we met at the smoking crater. Um, and you want to have relationships ahead of time where you've built trust, you've built rapport, you understand each other's capabilities, um, and. Almost everybody's got that now because everybody's been in this 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 response together for a year now. So I think that's going to improve things the next go around. Um, I mentioned before, you know, we got caught up in the novelty as a country of this virus. Um, it's never happened. It's been 100 years. Well, it won't be 100 years next time. So I think a little bit of that head game will be taken out of it. Uh, people can be a little more a little more focused. Uh, because the the principles of of, of crisis management still apply. Do what you know uh, and and get it done. Don't spend all this time hand-wringing talking about what you don't know. Do what you do know and learn what the rest along the way. Um, We've also seen the importance of public-private partnerships um, you know, small things like my company loaning me back to the state for a month or for three months, rather, that was big. But you've seen, you know, uh, you know, uh, industry partnering with the government on the vaccine, on distribution of the vaccine, on testing. Uh, I, I think we'll see that continue and uh, and improve the response next time. Um, but I think important lesson for everyone to remember too is you get what you pay for. You know, at one point, the Department of Public Health in Alabama had 4000 employees Uh, over the time budget cuts. They're down to about 2400. So you've got about 2400 people worth of uh, Mm -hmm. capability now. So, you know, you have to decide where you're going to invest. Are you going to get ready for the next uh, disaster or not? It's like insurance. You know, if you never file a claim where those premiums wasted. Maybe, but as soon as you as you need a claim and you don't have the insurance, you're going to wish you had it. So yep. we got to invest in our agencies that do this response. We've got to invest in these partnerships with industry. We've got to invest in those relationships. Uh, and I think we'll do better the next time, uh, but it'll be a case-by-case basis on what Col- you learned this go-round.
1: Colonel Hawkins, let me ask you this. and If you don't want to address this, don't want to go there, that's fine. Um, but understanding and preparing for the next event, you have to know what you were up against in this current crisis. With what you learned from all this, give us your thoughts, or where do you think this virus came from? Was it hostile? Was it accidental? Did it come from China uh, somewhere else? What, what do you think? And if you, don't, if you don't want to go down that road, I certainly understand it, but I, I wanted to ask you because you've probably been privy to more information than anybody we've talked to.
2: Well, I, I will tell you, I've seen no inf- official information um, that 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 clearly articulates that one way or the other. You know, you've seen the World Health Organization and and our own CDP come out with different theories and and, and plans. There's a lot of back walking and, and, and crab walking in politics personally. Um, i think there's no doubt this this virus came from wuhan china i think it originated in the lab there um i that's my personal opinion i don't think any any solid evidence to back that up you know when i was in the u.s army war college um one of the things that we spent a lot of time talking about china and uh one of the 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 serious threats to uh, to china's future is their aging population mm-hmm. um, the fact that their their workforce is continuing to age faster because they've limited childbirth and things like that uh and here you've got a virus that that's really bad for old people and not too bad at all for young people. Um, That kind of makes you scratch your head. in a single uh, a single virus, you you potentially fix uh, the economy of one country, while Western countries that uh, value human life, uh, it's going to decimate their economy as they struggle to to defend it. That's just a potential theory. I have nothing to, to, to back that up other than those – you can lay those facts on the table and decide if they fit together or not. I don't think this is from eating a bat in, in, a, in a wet market. I think it was uh, – at a minimum being experimented on in a lab, whether it was built or not, I don't know. Um, I, I don't think it got out on purpose. I think it was probably an accident, uh, um, but I just don't know. Um, I do think, uh, the, the Chinese government's responsible for, for sitting on the, the information about this virus as long as they did. Um, and I think they could have done a lot to shut down. It's spread globally. Um, I certainly applaud the, the former president for shutting down uh, things when he did travel-wise here. Uh, but really, once the virus is out of the bag, it's out of the bag.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about facts. I mean, we've seen the documentary, We Know One World Nation. You know, when when they forbid you to have more than one child, then they realized they'd made they didn't quite think (laughs) through young people taking care of the aging population. Then they started doing a new propaganda. Everybody have kids uh, and they've got a gap that they need to to solve uh, in their population. And again, that's speculation. But that's factual that that problem did exist and why it exists. That that part is factual. Uh, And and what about uh, Governor Abbott? Abbott, we've got about uh, three minutes left. He's saying right now, I can't get the federal government to communicate with me. You know, we have the border problem. We've got people coming in. You know, we don't, we don't know anything about the, the health of these teenagers and children that are coming in and then just people coming in, and he's trying to talk to the federal government. This is not – how can we stop and get our state under control with a pandemic if we're having to fill up, uh, you know, buildings with people that just came through an open border? unscreen. And, and he said yeah. it's, it's, he thinks politics is still being played. They can't get the federal government to communicate with him.
2: Well, sure, um, and, and I think Governor Ambrose did a terrific job, and he's got a heck of a situation there. Um, whenever you have an administration change, regardless of, of party or or what, you, you've got a um, an efficiency gap, and so certainly uh, this administration is going through that efficiency gap. And we knew that was coming when, when the administration changed, r- regardless. So, you know, pointees aren't in place yet, uh, policies haven't changed yet, so that's a problem. You know, um, politically, obviously. Um, you know, this, this, this administration is very different than the previous uh, administration, so you know their policies have have impacted the situation. I guess is a political way to say that. Um, you know, when it comes to disaster management, the federal government people always want the federal government. What's the, what are they doing? What are they doing? They don't respond to disasters. States do. Uh, individual governors have that responsibility, and their state governments do. The federal government resources it uh, provides additional resources and money. Um, when the federal government gets directly involved, often they mess it up. We saw this in Sandy. Um, Uh, When when the Obama administration got involved up in New York and New Jersey uh, doing things directly, and we saw it um, uh, in in this pandemic with the the, the Trump administration, you know, where they're shipping PPE directly to counties in Alabama, but we have no idea who got what. Uh, Mm -hmm. So when the federal government gets involved directly, it often makes it more difficult. Things should be managed at the state level but with federal support and resources. Um, if the governor can't get answers, um, it could be a political issue. It could simply be, um, a competency issue because the administration is still so new. Um, he has got to do what he's got to do to take care of his state, but he certainly should be getting cooperation and support from his federal partners. Um, and if he's not, that's a concern.
1: Colonel Hawkins, one last question. We'll kind of wrap up here. Uh, you're back on your what I call your real job for lack of a better term, uh, <laughs> it's real job now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you do and, and what your company that you work for, uh,
2: what they do. So, so Dynamis is a, a public benefit corporation, uh, chartered in the national interest. Um, the, the, the founders wanted to legitimately make, a uh, The country is a safer place, make the world a safer place. Uh, Most are in the company is retired military or retired first responders, uh, and we do defense and homeland security contracting. Um, I support a number of contracts. I teach readiness exercises uh, for the Air Force. Um, I teach emergency management for the Army. Um, I work on response, disaster response exercises uh, for the Department of Homeland Security and CISA um and and we do a lot of that kind of work helping the the federal government um in protecting america and and promoting peace and stability around the world that's that's what we do and it was important to you and i retired to go work for a company that you know i I felt like every day in my in the uniform uh, what i did that day mattered um and i wanted my retirement job to matter and i feel very blessed to, to work for a company where i feel like it still does matter and it's a bonus that that uh that, uh, you know, I got to go to school with one of the founders and, uh, they've been a great team. I thought I'd, uh, I, I really wonder what life would be like after the army, uh, Dynamis has made it great. Um, we do good things. I believe in what we do. And, uh, the fact that they gave me away free for three months <laughs> says a lot about the character of the company. No, it does it really, really does. And
0: thank you for, uh, taking that call to, uh, to serve your country again this time during a pandemic. So yep. thanks for taking time to be with us, Colonel, and uh, thank you for uh, your support of what we do and uh, and also what you have already done uh, during the pandemic and the crisis and uh, uh, continue to to do the great work through the company you're now with, Dynamis, uh, going forward. So thanks again from all of us here at the Rick and Bubba Show.
2: Well, gentlemen, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the show. Um, Common Sense is a superpower, and uh, I admire your, uh, your out loud faith as well. So God bless you and the whole team, and thanks for having me. Thank, thank you, sir. Thank you. And thanks
0: to all of you uh, who have joined us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.